0: Hello again. I'm Richard Figge, and this is for Reading Out Loud. Thanks for joining me this evening. Tonight's story is by the French novelist, poet, and playwright Alphonse Daudet. He was born in Nîmes in southern France in 1840. His early years in school were distinguished mainly by truancy. Oddly, perhaps, he himself became a schoolteacher, but only for a year. He was totally unsuited for it. And he said that for months after leaving that profession he would wake up in horror at the very recollection of it. He went into journalism, working for Le Figaro, and also began writing poems, plays, and stories, and achieved growing recognition as a writer. Charles de Morny, Napoleon III's all-powerful Minister of the Interior, appointed Daudet as one of his private secretaries. Tonight's story comes from the collection Letters from My Windmill, published in 1869. Alphonse Daudet's characters and themes often reflect his love for simple, ordinary people. Very tender images of life shine through in his writings, and commentators never fail to speak of his strong sense of place. Henry James wrote that Daudet's letters from my windmill are impregnated with the light, with the fragrance of a Provencal summer, The rosemary and thyme are in the air as we read. The white rocks and the gray foliage stretch away to a horizon of hills on which color is as iridescent as the breast of a dove. Our story tonight is called The Pope's Mule. When Provençal people talk about an aggressive man with a grudge, they used to say, beware of that man, he is like the Pope's mule who saved up her kick for seven years. I have long been trying to find out where the saying came from, and what this papal mule and the seven-year kick was all about. Nobody, not even Francais Mamaye, my fife player, who knows the Provençal legends like the back of his hand, has been able to tell me. Français, like me, thinks that it is from an old tale from Avignon, but he has not heard of it elsewhere. You'll find it in the Cicada's open library, the old piper told me with a snigger. It seems to me a good idea, and, the Cicada's library being right outside my door, I decided to shut myself in for a week. It's a marvelous library, well-stocked and open twenty-four hours a day to poets, and it is served by those little symbol-clashing librarians who make music for you all the time. I stayed in there for several delightful days, and after a week's searching, lying on my back, I came up with just what I was looking for, my own version of the mule with the famous seven-year grudge. The story is charming and simple, and I will tell it to you as I read it yesterday from a manuscript which had the lovely smell of dried lavender and long strands of maidenhair fern for bookmarks. If you hadn't seen Avignon in papal times, you'd seen nothing. For gaiety, life, vitality, and a succession of feasts, no town was its peer. From morning till night, there were processions, pilgrimages, flower-strewn streets, high-hung tapestries, cardinals arriving on their own, buntings, galleries with flags flying, papal soldiers chanting Latin in the squares, and brothers rattling their collecting-boxes. There were such noises coming from the tallest to the smallest dwelling, which crowded and buzzed all around the grand papal palace like bees round a hive. There was the click-clack of the lacemakers' machines, the to and fro of the shuttles weaving gold thread for the chasubles, the little hammer-taps of the cruet engravers, the twanging harmonic scales of the string instrument-makers, the sing-songs of the weavers, and above all that, the peal of the bells and the ever-throbbing tambourines down by the bridge. You see, here in Provence, when people are happy, they must dance and dance, and then they must dance again. When the town streets prove too narrow for the farandole, the fifers and tambourine players were placed in the cooling breeze of the rhone sur le pont d'avignon where round the clock l'on y danse l'on y danse oh such happy times such a happy town the halberds which have never killed any one the state prisons used only to cool the wine never any famine never any war that's how the comte popes governed their people and that's why their people missed them so much. There was one pope called Boniface, who was a particularly good old stick. Oh, how the tears flowed in Avignon when he died! He was such a lovable, such a pleasant prince. He would laugh along with you as he sat on his mule. And when you got near to him, were you a humble matter plant gatherer or a great town magistrate, he blessed you just as thoughtfully." truly a pope from yvetot in the north of France, but a Provençal yvetot with something joyful in his laugh, a hint of marjoram in his beretta, and no sign of a lady-love. The only romantic delight ever known to the good father was his vineyard, a small one that he had planted himself amongst the myrtles of Chateauneuf a few kilometers from Avignon. Every Sunday after vespers this decent man went to pay court to the vineyard. As he sat in fine sunshine, his mule close by, his cardinals sprawled out under the vines, he opened a bottle of vintage wine, a fine wine the color of rubies, which has been known ever since as Chateauneuf du Pape, which he liked to sip while looking fondly at his vineyard. Then, the bottle empty and the daylight fading, he went merrily back to town, his whole chapter in tow. As he passed over the Pont d'Avignon, amongst the drums and ferrandoles, his mule, taking her cue from the music, began a jaunty little amble, while he himself beat the dance rhythm out with his beretta. This shocked his cardinals, but not so the people, who were delighted by it, and said, "'What a good prince, what a great pope!' After his Chateauneuf vineyard, the Pope loved his mule more than anything else on earth. The old man was quite simply besotted with the creature. Every night before going to bed, he made sure that the stable was locked, and that there was plenty for her to eat. Also, he never rose from the table without a large bowl of wine à la Française, made with sugar, herbs, and spices, and prepared under his own watchful eye." He then took it personally to the mule, ignoring the cardinal's reproaches. Certainly the beast was well worth the trouble, for she was a handsome, red-dappled, black mule, sure-footed, glossy-coated, with a large, full rump, and proudly carrying her small, slim head, fully got up in pom-poms, knots, silver bells, and ribbons. She also showed an honest eye, as sweet as an angel's, and her ever-twitching long ears gave her a childlike, innocent appearance. Everybody in Avignon loved her, and when she was trotting through the streets they all looked approvingly at her, and made a great fuss of her, for everybody knew that this was the best way to gain the Pope's favor. In all innocence she led many a one to good fortune, the proof of which lay in the person of Tiste Véden and his wonderful venture." This Tiste Veden was in truth a mischief-maker, to the point where his father Guy Veden, the renowned goldsmith, had to run him out of the house because he refused to do anything and coaxed the apprentices away from their work. For six months he was seen hanging around every low place in Avignon. He was mainly to be seen near the papal house, though, because this ne'er-do-well had something in mind for the pope's mule, and, as you will see, it was something malicious. One day, as His Holiness was out with his mule under the ramparts, along came Tiste and accosted him, clasping his hands together in feigned admiration. "'Oh, my lord, most holy father, what a splendid mule you have there! Let me feast my eyes on her! Oh, my dear Pope, she's a real beauty! I'll warrant the German Emperor doesn't have one like her!' Then he stroked her and spoke gently to her as if she were a young lady. Come here, my jewel, my treasure, my priceless pearl. The kind pope was truly moved and thought to himself, What a fine boy, and how kind he is to my mule. And the result? The very next day Tisteveden exchanged his old yellow coat for a beautiful lace cassock, a purple silk cape, and buckled shoes, ready for his entry into the Pope's choir school, an establishment which previously had only taken in the sons of nobility or cardinals' nephews. That's how intrigue was done. But Tiste didn't stop at that. Once he was in the Pope's service, the monkey did exactly the same tricks he had mastered before. He was insolent to everybody, having neither time nor consideration for anyone but the mule— and was to be seen for ever in the palace courtyard with handfuls of oats or bundles of sainfoin gently shaking the pink bunches as he looked at the holy father's balcony with a look as if to say, Who's this lovely food for then? So much so, indeed, that finally the good pope, who was beginning to feel his age, decided to leave the care of looking after the stable and taking the mule her bottle of wine a la Francaise to none other than Tiste Veden. This did not amuse the cardinals. As for the mule, it didn't amuse her at all. From now on, at the time for her wine, she would witness five or six clerics from the choir-school, with their lace and capes, get in amongst her straw. Then shortly afterwards a fine warm smell of caramel and aromatic herbs filled the stable, and Tiste Veden appeared carefully carrying the bowl of wine à la Française, but the mule's agony was only just beginning. This scented wine which she loved so much, and which kept her warm and made her walk on air, was brought to her in her very own manger, where it was put right under her nose, and then, just as her flared nostrils were full of it, it was cruelly snatched away, and the beautiful rosy red liqueur disappeared down the throats of those clerical brats. If only they had been satisfied with just stealing the wine from her! But there was more to come. They were like demons, these clerical nobodies. After they had drunk the wine, one pulled her ears, another her tail, and while Quiquet mounted her, Beluguet tried his beretta on her. But not one of those thugs realized— that with one butt or kick in the kidneys the brave animal could have sent them all to kingdom come, or beyond. But she wouldn't. She was not the Pope's mule for nothing, the mule associated with benedictions and indulgences. They often did their worst, but she kept her temper under control. It was just Tiste Veden that she really hated. When she felt him behind her, her hoof would itch to give him what for. The villainous Tiste played some terrible tricks on her, and after a drink or two he came up with some very cruel inventions. One day he decided to drive her up the bell-tower of the choir school to the very pinnacle of the palace. This really happened. Two hundred thousand Provencal folk will tell you they've seen it. Imagine the terror of the luckless mule— when, after being shoved blindly up a spiral staircase and climbing who knows how many steps, she found herself suddenly dazzled on a brilliantly lit platform from which she could see the whole of a fantastic Avignon far below her, the market stalls no bigger than hazelnuts, the pope's soldiers in front of their barracks looking like red ants, and there, on a silvery thread, a tiny microscopic bridge, where l'on y danse, l'on y danse. Oh, the poor beast! She really panicked. She cried out loud enough to rattle the palace windows. What's the matter? What's happening to her? cried the Pope, rushing to his balcony. Tiste Veden, already back down in the courtyard, was pretending to cry and pull out his hair. Oh, most holy father, it's. it's your mule! My lord, how will it all end? "'Your mule has climbed up into the bell-tower.' "'All alone?' "'Yes, most holy father, all alone. "'Look, look at her, up there. "'Can't you see the ends of her ears sticking up? "'They look like a couple of swallows from here.' "'God help us,' said the pope, beside himself and looking up. "'She must have gone mad. "'She's going to kill herself. "'Come down, you fool!' "'Well, there was nothing she would have liked better.' But how? The stairs were not to be entertained, you could climb them all right, but coming down was a different story. There were a hundred different ways to break your legs. The poor mule was very distressed, and wandered about the platform, her huge eyes spinning from vertigo, and contemplated Tiste Veden. Well, you swine, if I get out of this alive, tomorrow morning will bring you such a kicking!' the thought of revenge revitalized her. Without it, she couldn't possibly have held on. At last, somebody managed to bring her down, but it was quite a struggle, needing ropes, a block and tackle, and a cradle. Imagine what a humiliation it was for a pope's mule to find herself hanging from a great height, legs thrashing about like a fly caught in a web. Just about everyone in Avignon was there to witness it the unhappy creature could no longer sleep at night. She imagined that she was still spinning round on the cradle, with the whole town below laughing at her. Then her mind turned to the despicable Tiste veden and the really good kicking that she was going to give him the very next morning. Oh, what a hell of a kicking that was going to be! The dust would be seen flying from far away! Now, while the stable was being prepared for her, what do you think our Tiste was up to? He was sailing down the Rhone, if you please, sitting on a papal galley on his way to the court at Naples, accompanying the troop of young nobles who were sent there by the town to practise their diplomacy and good manners in Italy. Tiste was no nobleman, but the Pope insisted on rewarding him for his care of the mule, particularly for the part he had just played in her rescue so it was the mule who was disappointed the next day. "'Oh, the swine! He has got wind of something,' she thought, shaking her bells furiously. "'But that's all right. Go away if you must, you mischief-maker. You will still get your kicking when you get back. I will save it for you.' And save it for him she did. After Tiste's departure— the Pope's mule returned to her tranquil life and ways of the old times. No more quiquet or beluguet in the stable. The happy days of wine a la Francaise returned, and with them came contentment, long siestas, and even the chance to do her own little gavotte once again when she went sur le pont d'Avignon. And yet, since her adventure, she felt a certain coolness toward her in the town. Whispers followed her on her way. Old folks shook their heads, and youngsters laughed and pointed at the bell-tower. Even the good Pope himself hadn't as much confidence in his furry friend, and when he wanted a nap mounted on the mule, coming back from the vineyard on Sundays, he feared that he would wake up on top of the bell-tower. The mule felt all this, but suffered it in silence, except when the name Tiste Véden was mentioned in front of her— when her ears would twitch, and she would snort briefly as she whetted her iron shoes on the paving-stones. Seven years passed before Tiste Veden returned from the court at Naples. His time over there wasn't finished, but he had heard that the pope's head mustard-maker had suddenly died in Avignon, and he thought the position was a good one, so he rushed to join the line of applicants. When the scheming Veden came into the palace, He had grown and broadened out so much that the Holy Father hardly recognized him. It was to be admitted, though, that the Pope himself had aged and couldn't see too well without his spectacles. Tiste wasn't one to be intimidated. "'Most Holy Father, can you not recognize me? It is I, Tiste Véden.' "'Véden? Yes, you know me well. I once served the wine à la Française to your mule.' Oh yes, yes, I remember. A good little boy, Tisteve Den. And now what can we do for him? Oh not a lot, most holy father. I came to ask you something. By the way, have you still got your mule? Is she keeping well? Oh that's good. I came to ask you for the position of your head mustard maker who has just died. Head mustard maker you? You're far too young how old are you now? Twenty years and two months, great pontiff, exactly five years older than your mule. Oh, what a prize of God, a fine beast! If you only knew how much I loved that mule, and how much I longed for her in Italy, please, may I see her?' "'Yes, my child, you may see her,' said the good and by now very moved Pope, "'and, as you care so much for the dear thing, I don't want you to live too far away.' From this day forward I am appointing you into my presence in the office of head mustard-maker. My cardinals will protest, but so what? I am quite used to that. Come and see us tomorrow after Vespers. We will give you the insignias of your office in the presence of our chapter, and then I'll take you to see the mule, and you can accompany us to the vineyard. Well, well, let's do it. I needn't tell you that Tiste Veden left the hall walking on air and couldn't wait for the next day's ceremony. And yet, there was someone in the palace, someone even happier and more impatient than he. Yes, it was the mule. From the moment Veden returned, right until the next day's vespers, the fearsome beast never stopped stuffing herself with hay and kicking her rear hoofs out at the wall. She, too, was making her own special preparations for the ceremony. And so the next day, after Vespers, Tiste Véden made his entry into the courtyard of the Papal Palace. All the head clergymen were there, the cardinals in red robes, the devil's advocate in black velvet, the convent's abbots in their petite mitres, the church-wardens of Saint-Agrico, and the purple capes of the choir school. The rank-and-file clergy were also there, the papal guard in full-dress uniform, the three brotherhoods of penitentiaries, the Mount Ventoux hermits with their wild looks, and the little clerk who followed them carrying his bell. Also there were the flagellant brothers, naked to the waist, the sacristans, sprouting judges' robes, and all and sundry, even the holy water dispensers, and those that light and and those that extinguished the candles. Not one of them was missing. It was a great ordination—bells, fireworks, sunshine, music, and as always the tambourine-playing fanatics leading the dance over there sur le pont d'Avignon. When Véden appeared in the midst of the assembly, his bearing and handsome appearance set off quite a murmur of approval, he was the magnificent type of a man from Provence, from fair-headed stock, with curly hair, and a small, wispy beard that could have been made from the fine metal shavings fallen from his goldsmith father's chisel. Rumor has it that Queen Jeanne's fingers had occasionally toyed with that blonde beard. The Majesty of Véden had indeed a glorious aspect. He had the vain, distracted look of men who have been loved by queens.' On that day, as a courtesy to his native country, he had exchanged his Neapolitan clothes for a pink braided jacket in the Provencal style, and a huge plume from an ibis on the Camargue fluttered on his head. The moment he entered as the new head mustard maker, he gave a general gentlemanly greeting and made his way towards the high steps, where the Pope was waiting to give him his insignias of office the yellow boxwood spoon, and the saffron uniform. The mule was at the bottom of the steps, harnessed, and ready to go to the vineyard. As he passed her, Tisteve then gave a broad smile and paused to give her two or three friendly pats on the back, making sure, out of the corner of his eye, that the pope was watching. The mule steadied herself. "'There you are,' caught you, you swine, I have saved this up for you for seven long years. And she let loose a mule kick of really terrible proportions, so that the dust from it was seen from a long way away. A whirlwind of blonde haze and a fluttering Ibis's feather were all that was left of the unfortunate Tiste Véden. Mule's kicks are not normally of such lightning speed, but she was a papal mule, and consider this she had held it back for seven long years. There was never a better demonstration of an ecclesiastical grudge. You've been listening to The Pope's Mule by Alphonse Daudet. It is a characteristic piece of whimsy that Daudet should describe himself as undertaking a week's research in the Cicada's library, On My Back, as he explains. Daudet described his style as littérature debout, literature standing up, by which he meant to suggest that his writing sought to find something like the methods of oral narrative. Daudet was known as an accomplished storyteller among his friends and acquaintances, and, for me at least, Part of the fun of the Pope's mule is that Dode's readers, too, may feel that they are sitting in the charmed circle of the storyteller. That's it for tonight. I hope you'll join me again next week. In the meantime, be well, be happy, all the best.